Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the No Limit Podcast. I'm your host, Samra, and today we are pretty much the professor of uh, today's topic. Mohamed Shire, how are you, bro? I'm very well, bro. Thank you. Thank you. Not so sure about the professor part, but yes, thank you for having <laughs> me. And I uh, hope you and Sana are well. We're all good, alhamdulillah. Thanks, man. And uh, now, nah, I think for today's topic, we've got to call you the professor. Uh, and also joining us is the main man of the podcast, Sana Stat. How are you, my brother? I'm very well, thanks, um, Abu Samra. I mean, we, today we have... You're right. We do have a professor today in uh, Shire in terms of he's our African correspondent uh, when it comes to the African football. So he's been uh, keeping us up to date in this last month. So it's an honor to have him, to be honest. And, you know, Shire has vast amount of knowledge when it comes to football, well respected among his community. I mean, he's a coach. Uh, he coached uh, West Ham. So he's got a coaching badge. So it's an honor to have him in our podcast. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, why don't we switch it up today a little bit in this episode? Uh, start. why don't you start off with the first question? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, Shire, um, in the previous episode, the last time you came here, I mean, hats off to you, man. You told us about Mohamed Kudus. I mean, talk to me about him, about Mohamed Kudus and, what, and his impact in the premiership. Well, what what can I say? First thing first, I think I'm happy with that title. African correspondent, eh? I'll take that. I'll accept that, bro. All right, yeah, so you, 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 prefer, you prefer that to the professor, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll accept that. I'll African football <laughs> correspondent. I'll accept that all day long. I'm not, not a professor. <laughs> As for Mohamed Kudus, well, what can I say? Ghanaian star boy, superstar in the making. Actually, it's not even in the making, is it? It's superstar already. Uh, I told you about him, and now you're seeing. Now you're seeing what he's all about. Now you're seeing how much, how electric this guy is. Now you're seeing, you know, that, that power, the skill, the panache about Mohamed Kudus. If I ever tell you about up-and-coming footballer, or if I tell you that he's a superstar, take it from me, bro. One hundred percent, Shire man, you came out with. I remember when you came out with the Mohamed Kudus um, thing, and you told us to watch out for him. I mean, interesting. He was at Ajax, and he was he was coached by Ten Hag. He turned a blind eye to him. Anyway, moving on. Um, Shire, what's your earliest memory of African Nation Cup? I mean, what was your favorite African Nation Cup or your earliest memory, your earliest uh, tournament that you've watched? That you've watched? My earliest memory memories of the Afcon. First thing, obviously, I was always big um, fan of football, whether it was playing, coaching, or watching. And I remember growing up. Um, I seem to remember exciting African footballers like Nwanka Kanu, George Weah, um, uh, players, JJ Okocha, players that were in the Prem, but also playing outside of the Prem, whether it was Serie A or other leagues, right? So I remember to my earliest proper memories of the AFCON was 2002. I don't remember where it was held. In fact, it was held in Nigeria, right? Nigeria? I could be wrong here. But anyway, that was my earliest memory of the AFCON. Um, Nigeria met another African giant in Cameroon in the final. I vividly remember Cameroon racing into a two-goal lead, first half lead. Um, Samuel Etu, young Samuel Etu, 
who has gone to be a world beater, a superstar, a global superstar in the making, scoring the first goal. Um, and later on in the half, Patrick Mboma, uh his strike partner, number 10 for Cameroon, who later came to the Prem, I think he was for Sunderland, scoring the second, pretty much uh, a very soft goal that went through the keeper's arms, through his legs and into the net. Um, and of course, at the time, Nigeria were at home. Ridiculous amount of crowd behind them, home support. Um, not only one, th not only did they, you know, raced into a early two 0 lead, but they dominated the half. Nigeria were pretty much shell shocked at the time, but to a certain extent, Cameroon were pretty much the dominant force of African football around that time. Between 2000 and 2000, 2006, four around that time. Yeah, yeah, I remember that time. Right. Go, go on. Yeah, 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 I remember that time um, when uh, Cameroon actually won the African Nation Cup in 2000 and 2002. Do you remember the half-sleeve? Um, it's like the basketball kind of kit that they had. Uh, Cameroon, where they had like a, like a vest kind of uh, kit. Do you remember that kit? Yeah, I think that was in 2002. And I think they weren't allowed to wear that in fever competitions, but um, uh, they wore that to the AFCON. But going back to, to, to the final of 2000, yeah, 2000, Nigeria came out the blocks in the second half and... Um, Scored, I don't seem to remember who scored, but the second goal is arguably one of the greatest goals in African football and at the time in world football. JJ Okocha, about 30 yards out, left foot, half volley, absolutely stunning. Uh, it's 2 2, game ended 2 2, went to penalties. Uh, eventually, Cameroon won. Uh, 3-2, uh, Rigobert Song scoring the winning goal. But what, another thing I vividly remember uh, about that game was, I don't know if you guys seem to remember, Victor Ekpepa, Nigerian striker, clearly, clearly scored his penalty. It went over the line by at least two yards, two to three yards. But it wasn't given, and that turned out to be decisive. So that was my earliest memories of the AFCON. And just to add to, to that, um, I don't remember the rest of the tournament, funny enough, but just the final. And we had players like uh, Sunday Olise, absolute legend of Nigerian football, uh, leading Nigeria, JJ Okocha, um, Julius Agahawa, uh, Celestina Babiaro and uh, Cameroon, Jeremy, Rugabert Song, Patrick, Patrick Omboma, uh, young Samuel Etu, Mark Vivian Voe, Mark Vivian Voe, who later played for West Ham and tragically passed away a few years after. Um, he, yeah, he passed away in the pitch, didn't he? Yeah, he, he he's uh, Mark Vivian Foy actually passed away in the semi final against the uh, Confederation Cup. I think the 2003 or one, no, the 2003, I believe, where he collapsed uh, sadly against France. Against, no, sorry, it was a semi final. I remember that vividly. All right, okay. okay. Um, a lot of knowledge there from Mohammed uh, <laughs> Shiri. Uh, amazing. All right. So um, I want to talk about uh, the most recent uh, AFCON tournament, uh, which ended uh, not too long ago. So um, it was quite a surprising one because uh, there were a number of teams that were expected to do well, um, such as, uh, you know, Morocco, Egypt and so on. Um, but they didn't do that well. So 
why didn't the highest-ranking teams in the competition um, live up to the expectations? Mohamed Shira, I would love to hear your um, your insight on this. Um, I'm not. I can't really pinpoint uh, the reason why they didn't do well, but obviously there are theories, and my take is that you know the traditional powerhouse of African football over the last couple of years ain't been you know playing well or not been performing to the level expected of them i.e. Um, um, Egypt absolute powerhouse in African football their last true you know performance in the AFCON was I think 2010 there was you know period of four or five years I think 2008 to 2012, perhaps, in and around that, they dominated African football, completely, utterly dominated African football. Um, but the last few years, the last few tournaments, shocking, really, uh, don't particularly play, um, you know, exciting, eye-catching football. Uh, fair enough, they got to the final uh, against Senegal 2021. But, you know, Nothing exciting about them. Uh, Cameroon. I don't know. Cameroon, they've won, I think, um, 2017 edition, if I'm not mistaken. Again, um, no particular standout players. Um, Onana, perhaps. Ah, <laughs> um, Jire, man. I'm trying to forget, I'm trying to forget Onana. Funny enough, he actually played well in the last game. We'll be back after a quick break. Crypto Unplugged. Hey, listeners, I'm Dr. Crypto, also known as Doc, the host of the Crypto Unplugged podcast. Crypto Unplugged is a weekly podcast where me and my co-host Oz give our opinions on the crypto space. We've been involved in crypto for many years, so we have a wealth of knowledge and expertise to share with new and seasoned folks. Our podcast is unplugged, meaning that we're honest and revealing about our personal highs and lows of our crypto journey. We've also interviewed a range of special guests from up-and-coming projects to experienced crypto personalities, and our goal is to bring the most up-to-date and relevant information to our community of listeners. So if you're interested in learning more about crypto, or if you just want to hear about two guys talk about their love of crypto and their views, then be sure to check out Crypto Unplugged. We're available on all major podcast platforms. Crypto Unplugged. Yeah, not so sure about that, Sana. But yeah, um, not, haven't been impressed with them over the last couple of years. Almost a decade I have not been impressed. Yeah, the year they won. Yeah, okay, fair enough. They they, they did fairly okay. Uh, got through the group stages. Uh, eventually went on to, you know, win the competition. But there was nothing wow about them. Uh, Ghana, I don't know what's happening to them, to be honest. The Black Stars are, you know, uh, not performing well. Um, fair amount of good players playing overseas in um, uh, European football or various leagues in Europe, top top divisions of European football. But I don't know, things are not clicking for them. You know, the golden generation of Ghanaian football couple, uh, from 2006 to 2014, they had real, real superstars. Didn't perform, didn't win any major tournaments, uh, didn't do too well in, uh, in the AFCON. The current crops, quite a lot of good young players. Kudu, of course, Mohamed Kudu is the, the, the main man, of course. Um, who else? Who else do we consider as African powerhouses? Um, Cameroon. Senegal. 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 Yeah, I mean, Senegal, I was actually going to say something a lot more positive than anyone else. I mean, they dominate African football. The last couple of years, they've been dominating. 
Uh, they were quite unfortunate in this tournament. By far the best football inside, if you ask me. Do you think they're the most? Do you think they're the most um, balanced African team? Yeah, they're, they're, the, they're the most equipped. If you ask me, they're the most yes. equipped. I mean, yeah. the core of the team is really, really, really strong. They've got very good goalkeeper in uh, Edward Mendy, uh, very good two centre halves in Abdul Diallo and um, Kulubali. Their centre midfielders are. I'm, I'm impressed with them. I'm impressed with them. Um, and, and of course, the superstar in Sadio Mane and Ismail Sar. Um, who else? Nigeria. Um, I mean, they they've not been impressive, but I think we, we'll talk about them in more details. Uh, the Ivorians, maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more details a little bit later. Uh, because they got to the final. So I think, uh, it's only fair that we, you know, discuss in more details. Uh, the other reason I can think of as to why the big nations haven't performed in, um, this current tournament or the, the current tournament was, you know, the emerging, the emerging nations are doing really well nowadays. So teams that were previously uh, pu pushover, like Equatorial Guinea, um, Mauritania, uh, I don't know, Angola, uh, somewhat um, Congo, even though they've got a bit of good history in the early days of the AFCON, are no longer, you know, uh, pushovers but somewhat serious contenders so these nations are really emerging from from uh, you know from the dust and competing with the powerhouses of African football and that's that can partly be contributed to the fact that a lot uh, a lot of these players are now nowadays playing in um, European football for example you know the, the Equatorian Guinea uh, squad, majority of them play in Europe. Having said that, actually, not all of them play in top half Europe or top leagues in Europe, but rather second, third, fourth, fifth division of Spanish league. Um, so, I mean... Yeah, sorry to cut you off, Shere. Um, um, do you think that is because they have something to prove more? like the top ranking teams they play for some top teams uh, in Europe and basically the smaller teams have something to prove in order for them the african is the only way to show their skills and uh, to be recognized by top european teams do you think that might have something to play with it yeah it's quite possible i mean anytime you play football and you come up against uh, a top nation or a top team you're always gonna, you know, test yourself against the very best. Uh, so, so that's a given as far as I'm concerned. But it might be to do with the fact that you know, football is evolving in general, and um, I think there there are a lot more coaching facilities. Um, you know, you know the players are travelled uh, a lot more to other parts of of, of the world now. So that might be a factor, but I'm not sure if it's just, you know what, prove yourself against the top nation. Okay. All right. Nice one. Um, my next question was going to be uh, which teams that surprised you with the, with their performances during the tournament, but you already mentioned uh, uh, Equatorial Guinea and uh, Mauritania and so on and so forth. Um, so we'll move on to the next question. Um, okay, Mohamed Shire. Were there any standout individual players or breakout stars that caught your attention throughout the competition? Um, you know, normally the World Cup is the tournament where, you know, we find out about players that we might have not known of before. Um, but the more continental competitions, we don't really have that, um, that opportunity. But were there any players during this competition that caught your attention? You know, you know what, that... The AFCON is usually a perfect opportunity for um, young African footballers uh, to 
showcase their skills to, to Europe. And essentially, their main goal is to move to the top le leagues in Europe. Um, the, the fact that majority of these nations already have stars and most of their squad playing in Europe somewhat changes that um, idea of having, you know, um, uh, emerging young Africans in, uh, showcasing their skills to the world. So, as far as um, upcoming stars were concerned, I don't know. Uh, the South African goalkeeper, I think, who, who he plays in the South African League, um, proved that, you know, he can compete in, in, at the very highest level. And not only the South African goalkeeper, but the Nigerian goalkeeper as well. Um, in terms of of stars who I thought you know they're the one for the future to be honest I can't think of anyone else other than those two because I was impressed with with, with other you know players such as um, the Malian striker Sineyoko I thought he was very impressive I thought he was really, really, really impressive. Um, the Nigerian um, centre-back and captain, uh, I'm not even going to attempt his name, Nkong, something like that. Uh, I was truly impressed with him. I've already mentioned the two goalkeepers. Um, Sako Fafana. Who, who plays for Nasser, Al Nasser. I think he's on loan to Etifak now. Um, I was really impressed with him as well. I mean, I saw um, a side of his game which I didn't know he's capable of. I always assume he's a, a defensive midfielder whose job is to, to break up the play. But what I saw in him was, you know, he was driving through the midfield constantly... Um, been, been a threat to, to the opposition. Um, I was also impressed with with Angolan stri um, striker, Della. I think his name is Della. I'm not sure which league he plays in, but I was really impressed with his uh, showing. Um, Senegal's midfielder, uh, Lamine. I think he's got, he got two... He scored two cracking goals in, uh, in the first game. Um, I mean, stars like Mohamed Kudus and Oshim and, and those guys, I expected them to perform. You know what I mean? So it's not a surprise if they, you know, uh, pull off miracles. Uh, the biggest surprise was a striker who plays in, I think, second division of Spanish football. Um, the striker from Equatorial Guinea, Nsue, who happens to be the leading goal scorer. I think he ended up with five goals. One of them being a hat trick. I think it was against the, against uh, against the Gambia. Um, definitely the two goalkeepers. Very very impressive. Uh, yeah, that's all I can think of at the minute. Okay. All right. Excellent. Uh, so, moving on now. Any memorable matches or moments from the tournament? Uh, and Sunastar, I want I want you to chime in on this one as well, because uh, <laughs> I remember like just at, at the house you were always watching the matches and whatnot. So, uh, any memorable matches or moments uh, from the tournament? Uh, I'll let Mohamed Shire go first, and then uh, Sunastar, you can. You can chime in. Memorable matches. I mean, Afcon is always amazing. The skills, the 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 dance, the the atmosphere is crazy. I mean, I absolutely love it. One of the reasons I love Afcon Afcon is not just because of the football, but the atmosphere created in the stadium. 
And what made it unique was the fact that this year, um, you know, people used to knock Af African football or the AFCON in general due to, you know, stadiums being half empty, um, the pitches being, you know, in bad condition, the officials uh, getting, you know, easy decisions wrong. Nobody, absolutely nobody can say that anymore. Nobody can accuse AFCON. As far as memorable matches can uh, go, some of the matches that stick out uh, uh, was Ghana versus um, uh, Egypt, 2-2. Uh, of course, my boy Mohamed Kudus doing his thing, scoring two stunning goals. A um, couple of mistakes leading Ghana uh, and um, Egypt back into the game. Uh, I think two costly errors leading them back into the game. And what made that game unique was the fact that both teams um, couldn't afford a defeat um, in that game. And to be honest, a draw wasn't good for them either. So they both needed to win. And that game had absolutely everything. Another game I remember was the um, the match between Mali and Mali and the Ivorians, the Elephants, Ivory Coast, in the semi-final. Where I mean that game was outrageous. Um, Mali came out the blocks. Absolutely destroyed. Um, they missed a penalty, didn't they? In the first 10 15 minutes, when I say destroyed, they were dominating them, right? Um, which led to a red card for the uh, Ivorian centre half and a penalty, uh, which shortly followed. Unfortunately, they missed a the pen. Um, in the second half, um, Mali. Mali scored uh, one of the best goals in the tournament. Uh, Stana from Nene, who happens to be an Ivorian, <laughs> funny enough, and uh, but plays for Mali. Oh, oh sorry, sorry, Shire. Just quick question, Shire. Is that why he didn't celebrate? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, he was. I his parents are from Ivory Coast, but I think he was raised in Mali and eventually moved to Spain. But I could be wrong about that, the Spain part. So yeah, he didn't celebrate when scoring that beautiful goal. Um, at the end, Ivory Coast got scored in the last minute of the game. They they made obviously some changes. Remember, they, they were they won, um, a man down from the first half, midway through the first half. In fact, it might have been the first 20 minutes. Um, made a couple of changes. Um, I think Sebastian Hala came on. Um, Adingra from Brighton, who at the end won the best young player, uh, came on and scored in the last minute of the 90th 90th minute, I think it was about 94th minute, right? Which took the game to extra time. And then the last kick of the game before extra time, the Elephants scored. I mean, it was crazy, crazy scenes. That game had everything. And mind you, Mali could have finished the game on several occasions, but it wasn't to be. The other game I remember fondly was um, the Ivorians were involved again. They played against Equatorial Guinea and got destroyed 4-0 at home in front of, uh, in front of a, a full crowd, 60-plus. That was crazy. That game had um, almost everything. And that, the Ivorians at that moment thought they out. In fact, everyone thought they out, but, you know, results went their way. So those three games are particular ones that I remember from, from the tournament. Yeah, man. Um, 
some real knowledge right there, Shire, man. Some really detailed matches you spoke about. You just remind me of some games. Um, I remember, yeah, Ivory Coast was about to come uh, to be knocked out and they only won one game and they lost uh, two games in the group uh, stage. And then it was about, it's like for the, it was, I think, Ghana versus Mozambique, if I'm, uh, if I'm right, where Ghana was winning 2-0 uh, with the IU's two penalties. And then Mozambique scored two goals. It was like a... It's like that Champions League final, 99 Champions League final, where they scored two, two goals in two minutes. And that saved Ivory Coast. And then from there on, Ivory Coast didn't look back and they did what they had to do in front of their home crowd. I mean, it's mad. They sacked their manager as well. Um, I think uh, they sacked their manager and they got someone else. Um, yeah, so it's amazing, amazing what they did. Um, yeah. Yeah, they, they on, did, you're right. They they did get rid of the the manager um, at the group stages, and um, got one of their their locals um, who was a ex centre midfielder for the Elephants, and from there he started tweaking a few things. Um, I think one of them was you know getting. Um, um, Sebastian Haller or giving Sebastian Haller playing uh, minutes and Odingra, uh, the young Brighton um, star. And incidentally, um, it's the first time uh, a manager won the AFCON uh, without playing in, um, you know, the the group stages, but just the knockouts. So yeah, you're you're right. Yes. Yeah. Um, Shire, I would like to ask you a question regarding um, African managers managing African teams. Now, it's been proven what uh, Ivory Coast just done. They hired one of their locals, a former ex-player of Ivory Coast, where he coached and won the African uh, Nation Cup. Now, whereas before I can understand where African teams will get European managers to manage African teams before, you know, the 90s when... But now we've got experienced African players, ex-African players that played in Europe and, you know, they have vast amount of knowledge that they can, sh they, they can share with their, with their future generation. Do you think a lot of African uh, uh, teams should hire African, the locals basically, to manage their own teams? Like what we've seen with Morocco in the, in the World Cup in 2022, they made it into the semi-final, the first African team to make it in the semi-final. And they had a, an ex-player and they hired one of the local. So what's your opinion on that in that regards? I, I think African coaches just needed to be given chance and it's proven the previous winners of, or the last, I don't know, decade or so, or just over a decade, uh, the winners of the Afri Afcons were a lot of them were from, you know, were home-growing um, managers. So let's take Egypt as an example. Um, I think they won three in a row. Um, with Shahata, the manager. With, yeah, with yeah. Hasan Shahata, who's a local coach, won their own, right? Um, that proved and paved the way for a lot of you know, nations, African nations to trust their own and give them, a, give them an opportunity to, you know, to, to compete against um, European coaches. Um, fast forward a couple of, uh, few years, you know, uh, Ali Ussise is proving that, that this can be done. You know, uh, look what Senegal are doing. They dominate African football in almost um, all levels. Under 17, uh, under 20, um, and of course, the, the seniors uh, got them to the World Cup, the last two World Cups, um, got to the AFCON final twice, uh, and, and you, you see how established they are. Um, Nigeria, the year they won, 2017, they were managed by one of their own as well, um, 
Stephen Keshi, the late Stephen Keshi. Um, and more recently, of course, uh, MS Fay or Fay uh, is proving that, you know, if you, if you trust your, you know, the local coaches, local managers, they are capable of, you know, producing and coaching um, their nations or teams to the to the big trophies and high at the highest level. All right, interesting point you mentioned about just giving them chances, and you mentioned uh, Hassan Shahata. Um, however, even though he coached them to three uh, titles, Egypt never qualified for the World Cup. Do you feel that African teams are judged more by their performances in the World Cup more so than their continental success? I don't know if they judged uh, ba uh, solely based on that. I mean, Egypt's a funny one, to be honest, because because the years, in the years they, they were dominating African football, they weren't qualifying for the, for the World Cup. But they qualified... For the last two World Cup, the last two World Cups, they qualified. Then again, historically, even when they do qualify, they don't do well. Nothing notable about Egypt and the World Cup. So, oh, I don't know. Is it a marker of judging them based on, you know, the World Cup? I don't know. I'm not too sure. Um, Senegal, on the other hand. You know, they've qualified for the World Cup several times. And up to recently, up to the la maybe last seven years, six years, they weren't doing uh, much in, 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 the, in the African continent. Uh, Cameroon, of course, we all know they paved the way for a lot of African teams to do really well at the World Cup. Ghana, very similar to... Um, to Egypt in the sense that, you know, they were doing really well uh, qualifying for the World Cup, performing at the World Cup, which is the highest level, but not so well at the AFCON. So, you know, they, they mix Nigeria, again, another nation that, you know, they do really well at, at World Cups, perform well, um, fairly well, I say. Um, but also okayish at AFCON. I mean, Nigeria, I expect them to be winning a lot more AFCONs, if I'm being honest. So I don't 100%. know, is that marker? I'm not too sure. Okay. All right, then. Um, I want to talk about the winners, uh, Ivory Coast. Okay. Um, what were some key moments or matches that defined uh, uh, their path to victory? in the tournament what do you think kind of because you mentioned that um, they didn't do very well in the group stages um, so what do you think kind of got them going and like what flipped the switch in them <laughs> Ivory Coast was a funny one if I'm being honest uh, obviously they're the host nation they've got a crowd behind them they've got the expectations were different for them um, they were expected to do well then they laboured through the group stages. Not even laboured. They were awful. Absolutely shocking. Right? Didn't really perform. Apart from the first game. Um, I think it was against Gambia. Um, after that, they were terrible. They got, they got smashed 4-0 in, in, um, in the second game. No, third game. What was it the second game? Anyway, they lost the next two games. Right? But the most... Most notable or what, you know, uh, changed everything about the Ivorian wasn't actually about them. It involved Morocco. It had nothing to do with them. So, had Morocco won their last game, the Ivorians would have been out of their own tournament, right, at the first hurdle. Hence, when they won the tournament... Max Gradle, I don't know if you've guys seen it, maybe go on YouTube and have a look. Max Cradle and some of the supporters were waving the flag 
of Morocco. <laughs> That's because Morocco did them a favor. Don't know if it was intentional or not. Highly doubt it. But that was the turning point for them. Um, then they went the last um, the last sixteen. No round of sixteen. Again, unconvincing. Quarter final. Again, truly unconvincing. I think their best game was actually the final, semi-final, just about two last-minute goals. Last-minute goal uh, in normal time, last-minute goal at um, extra time before penalties. Their only decent game, I can say, was the final. And what got them through the tournament was the home support. That huge uh, fan base and support from, from the crowd. Got them through the um, through the tournament, I believe. And of course, you know, change of manager, change of tactics. Sebastian Haller um, didn't really start the game or, or any of the previous games. Definitely not the group uh, the group stage group stages. Definitely not the round of sixteen. But the quarters, semis, and final, it, it really it really played well. And of course, got the winner. Uh, Odingra is another one who didn't start the tournament um, or any of the previous games did really well at the latest stages of the tournament semis, quarters and final Max Cradle, Max Cradle who, is, uh, who is considered as the granddad of that squad I think 37 or 36 the only the only um, uh, player left from the winning squad of 2015. Um, you know what? When the manager took over, he turned to who he knows best. And Max Credo was one of them. So, a little bit of tactical changes, change of manager, the home support, and Morocco doing them a huge favour was the turning point for the Ivorians. Wow, wow. Wow, Shire, that was that's amazing. Um, you gotta talk to us about Frankie Frankie Sabrol. What a big, big game player for them. Yeah, again, big player, big games. You know, you expect them to shine, and that's exactly what what Frank Kese did. Funny enough, I forget round of sixteen, he got dropped. Uh, he did come on eventually and I think he scored uh, the winning penalty or he scored a penalty but he got dropped in one of the games after that he never really looked back quarters really good um, semis excellent and the final so yeah big game player expected um, I expected that from him you know so yeah Wonderful to see him doing so well for his nation. Excellent. All right. Um, one of the talking points I remember when people used to talk about um, AFCON was uh, Nigeria's uh, attacking force. So, Mohamed Shira, what was your opinion on their attacking force? I mean, they didn't win, but do you feel that... Um, that you know, with their current uh, team of strikers, not that they can actually go on to do good things together as a team. Yep. Uh, okay. So Nigeria went into the tournament with two excellent strikers. Uh, I think Victor Victor Oshiman. Everyone knows about him, obviously. Um, Nigerian superstar, world superstar. Um, one of the, you know, best strikers in world football at the minute, current African player of the year, um, best player in Serie A last season. Um, big, big things were expected of him in this tournament. Um, I thought he did okay-ish, had few goals disallowed, ended up with one goal, but I think it was his commitment and overall um, contribution um, you know, 
uh, that, that, that stood out rather than, you know, what he's, you know, renowned for, which is goals. For him, if he's not scoring goals, you know, like most strikers, he won't be happy. But I thought his overall contribution was, was, was very positive. Uh, the other is Victor, um, Victor Boniface. But unfortunately with him, he got injured just as the tournament kicked off or just before the tournament kicked off. So they ruled him out. But they had to rely on, um, on players like, you know, um, Simon Moses, um, Lukman. And Lukman actually did really well. I think he ended up scoring a majority of Nigeria's goals. Um, some people were pointing fingers at, obviously, um, Oshiman, Victor Oshiman. And I thought he did okay. Again, superstar, and, you know, responsibility of, of, you know, scoring the goals were on his shoulders. Um, but overall, Nigeria's success wasn't based on their strike, but the or strikers or attack rather, but their defensive unit. All right. Okay. And we're going to wrap it up with one more question. Now, as we all know, uh, there are some very talented African teams and we've seen them, you know, at AFCON, World Cup and so on. But Anstonestat, I need your input on this. This is very, very important. What would it take for an African team to win the World Cup in the future? You know, like, I think in took World Cup 2010, I think Adibayo said uh, he was a pundit at, um, for the World Cup for the BBC. I think one of the biggest problems in African football is is that it's not balanced. Like, for example, look, if we look at Nigeria, they got, you know, they got a lovely attacking force. But then they lack on the goalkeeper, they lack on the defender, they lack on the midfield. Even though as a unit they they played well, the unit actually, the defensive unit actually got them into the final, like rightly so, as um, Shira mentioned. But there's a lot of African teams that that not are not balanced. So a lot, I don't know about it now, but before it was to do. They don't know when to pass. They don't know when to shoot. They don't want to take on players. So tactically, that tactical awareness. They have to have good tactical awareness. So. I hope that one day we do see an African team um, wins the World Cup soon. I mean, a lot of African teams have won the under-21 World Cup, the under-19s, the under-18s. So hopefully we see that soon. I mean, Shira will know more than uh, me in, that, in this uh, thing. This is why he's our African footballing correspondent. So, yeah, what's your opinion, Shira, on this, on African teams in the future trying to win the World Cup? Man, winning the World Cup isn't for everyone, bro. So, Africans winning the World Cup? Uh, I don't know, man. I think we're still a long way off. Not because of, you know, ability, but I think you need a lot of elements, a lot of things to go your way to win major tournaments. Uh, not just the World Cup. I mean, we've seen it with the Ivorians, right? But to win the World Cup, you need a lot more luck. You need a lot more, you know, uh, you need to be a, a lot more organised. You need to, you know, um, uh, really, honestly, I couldn't put a finger on it. But um, I, I hope to see it. It's a dream. It's a dream. But uh, if you were to ask me who is most equipped to win a World Cup at the moment out of the African nations, I would say Senegal. Um, egg Simply because of the fact that, you know, the core of the team um, is there, is set up. You know what I mean? Um, but then again, the next World Cup is what, four years, three years away now? Most of those players would, you know, would move on. Siani Omane, I don't know. He'd be about 35 then, 34. Edward and so on. Uh, Kulebali. So, you know, you need a little bit of luck. You need... Of course, things to go your way. Um, I don't know, honestly speaking. I couldn't put a finger on um, 
what's stopping them from winning? Of course, quality. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to touch on coaching anymore because we've seen they can do well. Um, and of course, you know, the powerhouses are there in front of you, man. The Brazils, the Germans, the Spanish, um, all the Argentinians. I mean, these teams will, you know, always be a, an obstacle. So I'll dream for now, but I can't give you an answer on that. All right. I think uh, we all echo your sentiments here. Yeah, we would love to see an African team win the World Cup one day. Um, hopefully it happens soon. Hopefully it happens in our lifetime. So that wraps up the uh, episode. I want to give a huge thank you to Mohamed Shire for like all the knowledge he's uh, <laughs> he's kind of dropped on this uh on this episode uh to be honest with you bro i still think you should be called the professor after that man gave us a lecture man in a good way a good lecture not 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 in the not in the negative sense for sure um and of course a huge shout out to sinister as well i appreciate um, it my brother i appreciate it man i, pre I appreciate shiri coming on a guy like i said he has vast amount of footballing knowledge well respected among our friends you know when he speaks about football you know, we listen and we respect his views. Sometimes we don't see eye to eye, but that's what it is. It's sharing knowledge, right? And yeah, man, I mean, it's, it was stop good to have him on. Eye to eye, mate. The only reason, the only reason is because I'll stop you on your tracks when you're, you know, out of line, bro. <laughs> now, come on, man, I have to. <laughs> uh, that's why we love Shire. That's why we love Shire, man. Yeah, man. Uh, pleasure, uh, guys, and thanks yeah. for the invite, man. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, don't forget to follow Crypto Unplugged. Uh, don't and uh, Abu Samra, you have a YouTube channel. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have. Uh, uh, I've, I've got a YouTube channel. Uh, Abu Samra, the expat. Um, yeah, don't ask content. me why. Don't ask me why it's called the expat. Just. That's, great content coming out <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i've got i've got some stuff coming uh, in the next couple of weeks hopefully so yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah that wraps up the episode thank you guys uh Muhammad Shire and sinister and thank you to those uh, listening we'll be back with a new episode very very soon and yeah thank you for tuning in take care take care